Welcome back to another episode of Holistically Her, a women's health podcast. We are going to dive into another pelvic floor diagnosis that we see a lot. And today it is going to be about the condition called interstitial cystitis. Alyssa, how often have you seen this in practice and worked with someone who's been diagnosed with this? Oh, I don't know if I could tell you how many times, but it's definitely uh, more of a common diagnosis that we see as pelvic floor physical therapists. And I will say just the name alone ends up being widely mispronounced. <laughs> um, and so I end up saying, just say I see. I see is so much easier. <laughs> and not only that, but it's it's really kind of a scary word for patients. It sounds really serious. <laughs> so. So we're going to dive in today to what is IC, how is it treated, what do we do as pelvic floor therapists with it. Um, I know it is one of the most common diagnoses we see for pelvic pain conditions. I would say the other being endometriosis, adenomyosis, and PCOS. So it's definitely something that we want to talk about. And some of you listeners may listen to this and think, maybe I have IC. So just diving into what I see is typically it's defined as pain or pressure that's related, perceived to be related to the bladder. Um, it also usually presents with urinary urgency, urinary frequency, and the most important thing to point out, it is a diagnosis based on exclusion. If they have excluded you from all other possibilities, that's usually what they'll diagnose you with. But it's also important to note that sometimes I think we're not the best at this. I think we get all of these UTI tests back negative and they still will tell you it's a UTI. Oh, I 100% agree. And it becomes very frustrating, especially on the part of the patient to figure out what exactly is going on with them. Because by the time they come to see us, they've probably had cystoscopies, they probably have had multiple urine cultures, um, and they might have even had a bladder wall biopsy by the time they come to see us. And so by that time, maybe they have a diagnosis of IC, but they might not even be aware of really what it is. And the most classic patient presentation, I would say, is the patient that comes in with symptoms of pelvic pain, urinary frequency, and urgency, who tells you the story about how they've commonly been diagnosed with, you know, UTIs. And then when you ask them, is it always positive? And they say, no, but I get put on antibiotics anyways. That I, I feel like is the most common presentation is that person who's constantly getting what they think are urinary tract infections. Sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative, but it's, I've seen patients get UTIs every single month for the entire year. And I can't imagine what that would be like because UTIs suck. But that's typically how they present to our office is they truly think that they have a bunch of UTIs and they ask, how is pelvic floor therapy going to help me? So Lisa, how does pelvic floor therapy help IC? Um, so like Brie had already said, um, oftentimes it is accompanied by symptoms related to the bladder, but that doesn't always indicate that the bladder is the reason why you're having the symptoms that you're having. And I know that sounds a little bit backwards, 
However, the pelvic floor is the support for everything. It is the support for our pelvic floor organs. It helps regulate bowel and bladder function. Um, and by that alone, when we contract our pelvic floor, it does decrease inflammation and it improves circulation. So oftentimes what we see with this diagnosis is that the pelvic floor ends up being in a state of hypertrophy. So it's slightly engaged more of the time. And so we might have an increase in tone around that. So what we would do as pelvic floor physical therapists is number one, looking at the nervous system. And we've talked about this in previous episodes, but when I say nervous system, we're talking about how the body perceives our day-to-day activities and how threatening they are. When we are in a constant state of fight or flight, which is our sympathetic nervous system, which oftentimes people are in when they are in pain, that leads to more tension than it does relaxation. So looking at the nervous system and how our nervous system reacts to stress, but also reacts to our day-to-day activities is number one, looking at their breathing techniques and make sure that they're breathing into their diaphragm and getting that expansion that we, that is required in order to have normal pelvic floor relaxation, but also looking at the abdominal wall, which I find is usually very, very restricted, working around the bladder superficially, externally around the bladder. Um, but also working internally, working the pelvic floor muscles to aid in relaxation, improve range of motion, and then give them techniques to help maintain what they've gained with therapy. And just based off what you described and what we do with pelvic floor therapy, you can kind of start to see that interstitial cystitis is not just a bladder-focused diagnosis. It does impact a lot of systems of the body. And once again, it does also coexist with some other diagnoses as well. And you see a lot of these patients who not only have bladder symptoms, but they have digestive symptoms as well. They also may have, you know, some endocrine related disorders. And so we really do focus on treating the entire body with patients who have interstitial cystitis. And just to add, because I do have that little functional medicine realm, For a lot of these patients, the testing they have done for their urinary tract infections have always been like auger plate methods, which I will say are not very reliable and often contaminated and have problems just in itself. A lot of times I will have some patients do what's called PCR testing, and that's more DNA-based testing. And there are some integrative, holistic minded people out there who do use this PCR-based testing to try to find infections that may go undiagnosed um, through just the idea that there can be things called biofilms in certain patients where it's basically entrapping bacteria where that antibiotic isn't getting to it. And so I've seen some patients treated who have been diagnosed with IC this way and they have gotten a lot better. Um, But I also talk to a lot of my patients about nutrition and it's really important to point out that there is no IC diet. There are common foods that we tend to find that do flare some of our patients' symptoms. However, each individual is completely unique and you do have to work to find 
your unique triggers for your symptoms. I've had it be something as something super common like coffee, but I've had it be something super random like cinnamon. And so sometimes it takes some digging to figure out what your specific triggers are. And it's not always foods that we think are unhealthy. It can be foods that we think of that are very healthy, like spinach and kale. Um, so it does take a lot of digging to figure out what your individual triggers are. But the important thing to that is then you just eliminate the foods that bother you. You're not eliminating this whole list of things that's considered the icy diet because that can be really restrictive and in itself can lead people to more disordered eating patterns. So looking at foods, drinks is part of that treatment process. I know as pelvic floor therapists, we're pretty routinely asking about nutrition and diet in our patients just because they do typically impact bladder symptoms and bowel symptoms. Yes, I have worked with people in the past that um, one in particular that I'm really thinking of, we she was unable to have much in the way of seasoning on her food. So um, even something as small as a little bit too much salt and pepper could, um, to, to her perspective, set her into a flare. Um, now, the interesting thing, and I think this was a, a, a diagnosis that took a long time for her to get. So by the time she had gotten to me, we're talking about somebody in their mid-50s, uh, maybe to their late 50s, that um, had been adapting to the way that her body was responding to certain foods. And so who knows if that was actually what was flaring her symptoms and it wasn't something that was maybe underlying um, that maybe she wasn't aware of. But there are a lot of things at that time that she was unable to eat. And she was also doing an elimination diet um, in order to try to figure that out. But she had already been through the IC diet. Um, which is, like you said, very restrictive. And I felt like it was putting her into almost like spiraling into disordered eating. Um, and as a pelvic floor physical therapist that had recently started working in pelvic health, that was difficult for me to broach. But it is something to, um, something really important to discuss that most providers that I have worked with are not very well um, equipped to treat people with IC. That's not something that they see very, very often. Most urogynecologists often misdiagnose this condition. Um, and I haven't had great success in working with practitioners with, um, my clients that have IC. I've, I've had mixed, mixed results. I will say I have been fortunate to, I, I met a really awesome urogynecologist and, you know, we exchanged phone numbers. She looked for a pelvic floor therapist specifically, was very active in searching for somebody who understood interstitial cystitis. We went and grabbed dinner together and really talked about what we both do. And I will say she was like that diamond in the rough. And unfortunately, she's not practicing in my area anymore, but she was definitely one of the better urogynecologists that understood that pelvic floor therapy really is one of the best treatments for IC and one of the first things that we should be doing. And that's why I was so happy that she actually searched for a pelvic floor therapist instead of 
us going to their office and begging them to send these patients that we knew we could treat. And back to your point of of doctors not really being well equipped for this, quite frankly, a lot of doctors don't have the time to sit there and talk about nutrition and then also, you know, the next intervention that they're going to do. And that's another reason why pelvic floor therapy can be so helpful because we typically have a lot more time with you. And as somebody who has experienced disordered eating patterns and who has struggled with an eating disorder, I, I really struggle with these patients leaving with basically a packet of what they're they're being told is the IC diet and being told they can't eat this entire list of foods because it's really triggering for, for me. And so with every diagnosis that does improve with certain changes to diet, I do like to focus a lot on what foods you can eat and what foods can nourish you while monitoring your symptoms to see if anything is flaring you. Um, but not only that, I do also find I, I put a lot of my patients through a gut healing protocol. And after that, sometimes they are able to eat foods that were originally bothering them. It's kind of like when you take a food sensitivity test, which full disclaimer, I'm not really a big fan of them. Um, and you get that food sensitivity test back and literally everything you've ever loved and ever eaten is on there. And a lot of people will look at that and just stop eating all those foods. And then guess what? They take that test again and now those foods pop up. I usually like to tell patients in that scenario, it's usually an indication that the gut is in a state of dysbiosis and you may have a leaky gut scenario where everything you eat is kind of creating an inflammatory response. So we have to keep in mind that someone's gut health is super important when we're trying to determine what foods are bothering them. So what may bother them the first day they come into your office after going on a journey of healing the gut and the nervous system and, and everything, that may change down the road. So it's always important to remain flexible and continue to check back in with that patient to make sure that we're, you know, we're really working with them as they evolve through this condition. Now, this condition, I know we've kind of spoken about the symptoms that someone might present with. Um, and we've been speaking about it more in a uh, female focused way. Now, I see is not just found in women. We also have male clients that have had IC like symptoms and then get diagnosed with IC. I would say that mostly women are diagnosed with IC. I think the confounding thing for men is that symptoms of IC can a lot of times seem similar to prostatitis. I do feel like a lot of men are incorrectly diagnosed with prostatitis. Um, especially a lot of men are diagnosed with bacterial prostatitis when there are no bacteria present. And I think it's just one of those times where, you know, the doctors are like, yeah, you know, and this could be it. And they just diagnose someone with it because they just really don't know. And I've talked to a lot of physicians and quite frankly, they're just usually not very confident and comfortable with pelvic pain conditions. There are a lot of other conditions that are more up their alley. And so with those particular patients, you know, usually talking to them about, you know, this may be more of what you're, you're, you have. Sometimes that goes over well with them because a lot of them, prostatitis sounds really scary. And they're like, am I going to lose my prostate? 
and telling them, oh no, it's an inflammatory condition, a lot of times it can improve with lifestyle modifications and pelvic floor therapy. It's just a lot less scary for them because um, I think a lot of men, all their friends are having their prostates removed and any diagnosis with the prostate, I, I think a lot of my men feel like they're going to lose it and it can be very, very scary for them. But men and women both can have interstitial cystitis. So Brie, what other alternative methods for treatment are there? Outside of pelvic floor therapy, which once again, I do tell people has the highest recommendation from the American Urologic Society, um, there are other treatments that you may be doing with your urologist, urogynecologist, and that may include bladder installations, um, where essentially they're kind of bathing the bladder and the lining with an anti-inflammatory medication. They may recommend oral medications that can help this condition. Um, there are some that are nerve pain related, some that are more anti-inflammatory related. Um, they also sometimes will recommend antihistamines because sometimes histamine can be a driving factor for these patients. That's why usually one of the supplements I recommend is quercetin because it's a natural antihistamine. I'll also do a test with patients to just see how their body responds to, you know, histamine related, you know, things like when you scratch your arm, does it get super red and super swollen or does it get red and then it goes away really quickly? Um, those are some main treatments that they'll typically do. Um, I, I see mixed things. I see some patients that get a bladder installation and they feel amazing. And then I see some patients who get one and they feel worse. And sometimes I think this is because of the pelvic floor, the, the tension in the pelvic floor that when you do an installation, it's not the most comfortable thing in the world. Um, but I would say the main treatment, of course, would be dietary changes, pelvic floor therapy, improving physical activity and stress management. Um, and then I think after that, that's when we sh should really be considering some of those other things that don't have as much research to support it, such as bladder installations. Oh, and um, hydrodistension's another one. That's essentially where they're filling your bladder with sterile water to stretch out your bladder so that way you're you're able to hold more urine um, so you don't have to pee as frequently. And sometimes it also kind of calms the nerves down a little bit more. Um, so I've seen that as well. For the pelvic floor symptoms, a lot of times I will see some injections used. I don't know about you, Alyssa, but I have not seen a lot of patients with good results with like Botox injections. And Botox injections. Yeah, no, I'm not a fan of it either. I don't find that that is a really good way to treat the pelvic floor in general, inserting uh, Botox, which is going to essentially decrease the action of the muscles themselves. They're responsible for so many things decreasing their ability to do those actions doesn't necessarily improve someone's symptoms. Yeah, I'll, f I'll find some patients have very temporary improvements. And then I feel like the soreness from the injection itself kind of kicks in. 
and then they feel not so great. Um, I will sometimes recommend a vaginal or rectal muscle relaxer to kind of work in conjunction with pelvic floor therapy, um, especially if I've got a patient who's so tight I, can, I can't even insert a digit. Um, sometimes I'll start with external releases, you know, working on, on the pelvic floor from outside of the body and have them start like a muscle relaxer. And that can help a lot, especially when we have patients who probably should be in pelvic floor therapy twice a week or three times a week, but they're only really able to do once or, you know, I've seen that work for, for a lot of patients, but I always tell them, you don't want to just start a muscle relaxer and then not get pelvic floor therapy. There's so much more that you can learn about what's impacting your tension and how to relieve that on your own um, just to build that toolbox. So I will say pelvic floor therapy is, I think, one of the best treatments for interstitial cystitis, but it's not the only one. Um, there's still some things that your urologist and urogynecologist can do for you. And I will say, if you're listening to this podcast and you've had any symptoms that um, indicate that you might have something similar to this kind of diagnosis, Kegels are not the answer. I have had a lot of patients in the past that have been to previous providers. Um, and after they've gotten this diagnosis, they're provided with pelvic floor exercises. And when you are dealing with someone who typically has a high level tension in their pelvic floor, having them do overwhelming amounts of contractions is going to further exacerbate their symptoms. So try to find someone in your area that um, has some kind of understanding or specializes in this type of treatment um, and that they have some kind of training um, in working with people with this diagnosis. And I think that's super important to point out because the urogynecologist that reached out to me had actually been working with other pelvic floor therapists in my area and where she previously was working. And she would get patients that would come back and say, oh, she had me do, you know, key goals and pelvic floor strengthening and I got worse. And there is nothing that makes a doctor more mad who is well-versed in IC than them trusting in pelvic floor therapists and sending them patients and then they're doing the wrong thing. And for majority of, you know, pelvic floor trainings and things like that, just because they do pelvic floor therapy does not mean that they've taken a course that really talks about and works with chronic pelvic pain conditions. Um, I know in the training that we've done, the first level course is usually for pelvic floor strengthening and it's not really to work a lot on patients who have pelvic floor tension. So some of those clinicians may not know any better. All they've had training in is how to get someone to strengthen their pelvic floor. So if you're listening to this and you're working with somebody who doesn't seem super comfortable in the condition or is only giving you strengthening and is not trained in how to relax the pelvic floor, then please reach out to us if you need help finding another one. Um, but don't be afraid to ask your pelvic PT, how many patients do you have you seen with IC? How often do you see it? Um, and the other thing to point out is just because you have some of these symptoms does not mean you have to have interstitial cystitis. We see plenty of patients who have tension in their pelvic floor that causes some of these symptoms and it's not interstitial cystitis. Like I've had 
I've had these symptoms before. Every once in a while, my pelvic floor gets really tight and all of a sudden I have to pee all the time. But I have not been diagnosed with IC. I, I don't have any of the other classic signs of IC. I've never, ever gone to the doctor for a UTI. Um, so there are other things that can cause similar symptoms. And number one, first and foremost, tension in the pelvic floor, no matter what it is from, can increase your need to pee, increase your urgency, and, and just decrease your ability to control your bladder. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And finding ways to manage that, whether that be working with a pelvic floor physical therapist and then starting on something as simple as dilators, maybe using pelvic wands if some of the areas are tighter than others and it's not a global tension that you're experiencing. But also I, I'm going to go back to that um, trying to decrease that nervous system sensitivity. Um find ways to manage stress, whatever that looks like for you. Finding a therapist in your area, um, trying to talk to a non-biased party about the issues that you might be experiencing. I've heard meditation is very helpful. I can't do it myself. <laughs> My mind is not quiet enough to allow for that. Um, and, and yoga practice, all of these things can be very helpful, but we have to not just look at the pelvic floor as the enemy. We have to look at the entire nervous system and the way that we treat our bodies as a whole. And stress plays a ma major factor in these conditions. Yeah. And, you know, you're going to see that with a lot of diagnoses that we talk about. A lot of them coexist with other diagnoses and a lot of them really impact multiple systems of the body. So we want to make sure that we are thinking about the entire body when we talk about these diagnoses. And we want to make sure that you're seeing a provider that's thinking about the entire body as well. Um, so thank you everybody for joining us this week and stay tuned for next week as we continue to dive into other topics related to women's health.